Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Zach Goings of Stoneworks Gaming joins me, and he talks about his Grimward Omnibus 5e Kickstarter. We discuss using horror in gaming and the challenge he faced in getting his product from, kin- from concept to Kickstarter. Like all heroic journeys, it wasn't a straight and easy path. Check out the Patreon for an unedited version of this episode. There's a lot of fat on that slab of bacon. The mist is forming the bog. Who knows what foul creatures lurk in the growing darkness. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Zach. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Your, lo- your room looks uh, delightfully uh, pink and purple. Thank you. That is, that's the goal. <laughs> Definitely the goal. So if you're not going to be Shadow Zach, maybe you can be Neon Zach. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was aiming for. I didn't ask for the name Shadow Zach. They just heaped it upon me because <laughs> for some reason, because I do the horror stuff, I must be the, the shadow one. But uh, I don't know if you've ever played in any of the other Zach's games. He's pretty ruthless. Rizzy. No, I've not had the opportunity. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll happen here before too long. Yeah. Well, if you do, just don't get too attached to your character. I can well, tell you that. I think I've been listening to the, uh, the, um, at least I listened to the first one of the Octoon Cthulhu 2D20. Mm-hmm. And um, he seemed like he's, he's been pretty, pretty even, pretty kind, but maybe he wants to put on a, a false front in front of people so that uh, they get a false sense of, uh, you know, of, of like of ease when they get into his games and he can wait for the right moment and then just yeah. kill his character characters. He's pulling punches for the camera is what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call him the God of death for no reason. Okay. He's pretty ruthless. So yeah, I do They gave me, they gave me shadow Zach and I, you know, I will gladly accept that moniker, but I prefer to go by uh, your neon overlord. <laughs> oh, I want that. I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I think, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, uh, they shouldn't mind you calling them uh, your subjects, but uh, <laughs> there we go. You just tell them they can short it to my liege if they, they can't spit all that out. Exactly. There we go. So, uh, so um, Zach, th- uh, Zach threw you my way or mm-hmm. directed you my way. So you got a sure Kickstarter did. going. We do. Um, well, I do. I've been working on this with uh, my writing partner, Patrick, for quite some time. And it's actually what led us to world game design and kind of, you know, got us into this industry in the first place. Uh, me, a little bit more so than Patrick, he was already looking for avenues in and had already done a few things on the DMs Guild um, when I found him. But yeah, it's basically how we got here. And it's been a, a long road and it's been through quite a few different iterations as we've tried to figure out what this book actually is. It's very different than what it started out as, but yeah, it's been a long road and I'm, I'm glad to finally be here after almost four years in the making. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's a five E product, right? It is. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're actually, I think the first years might be the first Kickstarter I've ever had for a five E uh, uh, project. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it seems whatever reason seems to be predominantly uh, dungeon crawl classics or mutant crawl classics. I don't know how it's happened, but uh, uh, but for some reason that seems to be. uh, uh, So you're the first five E. So you started when five E was going strong. The idea hit Mm -hmm. to do this, 
And then about, you know, last year, I think there's a little bit of concern. Mm -hmm. And then there was, you know, of course, January, February, where it was like, sure. but, but you made, made it through all those slings and arrows and, and you're actually here at a, with a, a, a Kickstarter doing fairly well. Yeah. Yeah. It's doing quite well. I'm very, I'm very proud of how it's doing. So thank you. Um, yeah. And the, actually the first thing that we really had to dodge was um, when, when I first got into this and Patrick and I were working on this, I had this idea for this grim dark book supplement to fill out the space because, you know, I loved Ravenloft, but it felt a little bit PG 13 to me. And I was like, how can I go in and give this a little bit more of a R horror movie right. flavor to it? And I was watching an American werewolf in London when I got all inspired to do this. And so the book has deep roots in like, um, like horror movies or cinema specifically. Uh, but we started putting this together and then I had this idea for this grim dark setting and all this stuff and products like night bell and grim hollow just didn't exist at that time. And they weren't really making themselves known yet. That wouldn't be for about another eight months or so. And man, when they cropped up, that really just kind of took me for a loop for a minute. And that was really the first kind of thing to dodge was okay. Well, crap. <laughs> that niche that I was going to fill got filled twice. Really, really, it's now packed pretty tight and it looks good. Right. So, where do I go from here? So, that was really the first big hurdle. And then, speaking of, you know, DCC and MCC, that was kind of where, that was kind of the time when I started to discover those games, Morkborg, Mothership, started to get into some of the more indie stuff. I'd been playing Call of Cthulhu for a while, but that was really the only other thing besides the and And so started to look into those and get really into that kind of stuff as I was trying to figure out or really kind of put this book on the back burner as we tried to figure out what it was and kind of started doing some writing and creating and learning for other things for almost a whole year and just tinkered and thought. And then, yeah, we made it out the other end. And actually, we tried to launch this last year when we were still in flux of trying to figure it out. And after a few days, we just kind of had to call it and be like, we still, we still don't have this right. And we got to pull the plug and we've so, got to so go. So you're saying you didn't forward. have the, like you didn't feel like you had the concept defined enough. They felt Correct. comfortable with the Kickstarter, not that the Kickstarter wasn't funding, but you're like, we're still don't really have a clear vision. Right. And exactly right. Cause the Kickstarter was funding. And it would have funded. Uh, that would have been one, though, that we probably would have made it by by the skin of our teeth at the end. And we would have been able to make. We would have been able to make the book, but the end result was we would have what book would we have been making? Right. And would we I wouldn't have felt good about that product, um, especially because I didn't know what it was yet. So really, it took a little while of trying to figure things out. And I was going through a lot of stuff. I was getting married. I moved, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. So once I finally got everything settled, I was able to sit down and it was after we had that failed Kickstarter launch, I was like, okay, first of all, let's kind of start over. Let's take some of these adventures that we have planned for this book. And why don't we just release them digitally? We'll just go through, we'll run Kickstarters for them so we can get a little bit of funding for art and editing and things like that and layout. 
but let's just do them as little digital only adventures and let's get people interested in a concept first before we just go try shoving a big hardback book in their face and saying, Hey, why don't you buy this? Right. <laughs> we know what we're doing. So that's the approach we took. And, uh, yeah, it was working pretty well. And then January happened. <laughs> so yeah. that was, a. It just kind of, you know, if if you're making 5e content, it was kind of like try and get it out there as fast as you can, right? And hope for the best and hope that, you know, when it all comes to a head, you know, <laughs> that your product is still in the clear. Um, and fortunately, everything worked out all right. And here we are. Yeah, and it's, it's I think, it, you know, what you were able to do is, is start guess, developing the audience through those, through those Kickstarters, um, which I think is, it can be very important. Like uh, sometimes people try and swing for the fences and you really don't have the audience. That's, that's the hard part. Sometimes it's developing some sort of right. following. Sure. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of part of the strategy that we had to step back and look at, right. Is we'd done nothing to really build the necessary following to, to, market a hardback book or try and sell a hardback book to a consumer base because <laughs> uh, it didn't exist yet. So we had to go out there and we kind of had to grow a consumer base organically, you know, one bite at a time a little bit, which I guess maybe is kind of where Zach got the idea for his company name, Bite Size Gaming. Because oh, he okay. kind of started off, I, I suppose, I don't know. Uh, it would be, I think that would be a clever, clever think piece. But anyway, uh yeah so we just started doing it the small bits and january came around so we did a double issue and then it was like okay i've got to the point now where we got this first round out and i want to finish it up um instead of doing two more kickstarters for these individual issues let's just include them in the hardback book yeah because it's really hard to say you know what what's going to be the life of five E, even though, you know, wizards claims that it's, you know, they're making the claims of it still being five E just, you know, it's just like, you yeah, don't know. Absolutely. And not that I don't have any plans to support, you know, the grim weird tales line or anything like that. I love it. Of course I will continue to write things for it, but I've, you know, I've talked to people about this before I've been creating for five E for what feels like such a long time, even though I've only officially been in this industry a few years, I've been doing homebrew for it for years and years and years. And now that I finally started to find some of these more indie games and systems, it kind of click a little bit more with my vibe of like short stories and, you know, uh, weird themes and things like that. And kind of sh more short form play more core DCC stuff like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, really interested to go and explore writing for those systems uh definitely over 5e for a little bit so i'm glad to finally have this you know the culmination of all these years of work finally you know finally here and, yeah. and we're working through it so that you know i can move on to some new things and explore different parts of you know writing for tabletop games yeah because it gets hard because it does it does suck up you know, a lot of the energy and especially, you know, with you being delayed and 
in wanting mm-hmm. to get it out, I'm sure that it creates a certain amount of stress. Not maybe not like stress, stress, but still, it's it's a burden that that is added. It is, yeah. It's it's kind of just like there's this there's this mountain. <laughs> you're you're trying to drive around and see the other sites and see what else is there, but there's this big mountain that's always in your way, just kind of bl- blocking your view. And until you can clear it away, you know. You, you can't really do anything else. So I've just kind of been in a holding pattern and not that I haven't been writing and, you know, making small forays into other things in preparation, but I'll be really glad. And and the big thing too, is that when I first went into this big book is I thought that I wanted to do a lot of design work for tabletop games uh, because that's primarily, I did a lot of design work at homebrewing, you know, running my own games uh, as a DM for all those years. But that's not what I want to do as a job in terms of in this industry. Not that I don't like it. Uh, I do enjoy doing it situationally, but I don't want to sit down and create an entire bestiary of monsters or, you know, create an entire rule supplement for something. I want to sit down and I'm the guy I want to write adventures, you know. I want, I will give you chapters of adventures. I will create a couple monsters for it, you know, spot fill here and there, but I, w- I, I have stories to tell and creating these, you know, these dense books filled with different options and things are interesting. And I love to contribute to things like that, but I found that setting out to do that, uh, and doing it, it's not necessarily what I want to continue doing. And I've very much fallen in love with telling more the the smaller stories yeah i think smaller too, systems you know it's it's when you and then my also i wonder if it also has to do with i don't know if it has to do with age because i used to be much more interested in system stuff as well um but i think also you know what you're dealing with is as you is you transition to doing more and more time of doing this thing mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like any activity like maybe it's fun to do a, a couple hours a week or a handful hours a week but do you want to do it eight hours a day? Maybe not. Right. Or, or eight hours a week? Maybe not. Like, right. You know, it's kind of, a, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I kind of reflecting what my next stage of life will be, you know, like, do I want to go and, you know, do what I'm doing for a hobby full time? Mm-hmm. But do I really want to spend 10 hours a day, six days a week, six and a half days a week <laughs> doing that? Maybe. Right. Maybe not. I don't know. A hard question to answer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, maybe, you know, my, my job's a slog. So this is a nice, nice, uh, you know, a, a nice day version. But like you, it's like, you know, OK, you know, is, does this mean that, you know, with all the things I want to do, am I going to have to be writing, you know, basically a, a bestiary every few a few months, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. such and such every few months. But the similar type thing here, it's like, you know, you know, that activity, it's like, it, you're right, it is fun, but but maybe it fits a creative itch, but not something you want to keep scratching or, or you're, it's going to be an irritation. Right. Exactly. And you know, some people out there, they love design work. It's the opposite for them, right? Like my, my writing partner, Patrick, he loves doing mechanics. He loves creating monsters. He loves doing the stat blocks and all the crunchy parts of it. And that's why we were able to kind of work so well together for so long. And, you know, we had other collaborators, Zach, uh, came in and you know helped create a bunch of subclasses. He wrote a class for the book and everything like that. But um, it was really just 
everyone has their own kinds of things that they love to do. Like you, your products, right? They are, you have something specific that you want to get out, like Bane of the Fly God. It's this setting and everything that that encompasses or with scoundrels. It's these options for sci-fi stuff. Right. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. Like if, if I'm going to make a supplement, I want it to be geared towards something and I want it to be tight. I don't want to go create these big, like this book is great that we've created. Um, but I'm not sure I want to go this big again. You know what I mean? It's a oh, lot. Yeah. It's a lot. To, it's a lot to think about. <laughs> it's a it lot is. of moving parts. It is. Well, I think too, it's like, you know, and that's where it is like for, and that's where it can be the point where, you know, you, the next thing is maybe you want to do something big again, but you're, you're going to have to say, but I need another person on board. Right. Who's going to do something that you or Patrick is not good at. Sure. Well, and here's what it really is. I think it's not that I'm opposed opposed to doing big books or hardback books or anything like that again in the future. It's that I think that I should approach it the same way that I've learned to approach the novel, which I've never written a novel and I have attempted it several times. And the reason my approach to novels now is that I used to sit down and set out to try and write a novel. And that's why I failed every single time. And the reason I succeeded at writing poetry and short stories, because that's what I set out to write to write a short story or a poem. And I succeeded <clears throat> because that's what I could do. And I feel like for me, a novel is something that's going to have to grow organically out of me. I can't right. just sit. I don't have the brain to just sit down and put together a novel like some writers can. It's not that I'm incapable of it, but it's something that I'm going to have to have a short story that I just can't stop. And I think if I ever get to the place where I have to write another book that is this big and this dense and this filled with options and things like that, it's going to have to grow organically. It's not going to be me sitting down and going, well, what is the space missing and where can I force my way into the industry and, you know, try and make a splash. It feels better to just try and let it grow by itself, I think. Well, I think, too, is and maybe we'll get more into the into your grimoire uh, omnibus. But I think also, too, it's like, you know, are you creating something that's supposed to take characters from point A to point B, but now going to a larger to a, to a larger scope? And now it's from point A to point, you know, E, mm -hmm. you know, because that really changes this like the scope and the complexity and the, you know, number of beats. I mean, where you say, you know what, I got this, I got this image in my head. I got an idea. Um, and this would be great for two or three sessions, mm -hmm. but you don't want to say, but like, but you don't want to deal with a campaign, right? right? It's a different way of thinking. Yes, absolutely. And you can take all these little pieces and put them together and say, well, that's a campaign, but unless you really know what you're doing, it's really not. It's just a bunch of, <laughs> things that are that you crying trying some sort of hook took them all together but even so if they're run consecutively you don't know what people are going to you kind of have to railroad it more i think for longer ones shorter ones you don't really care you don't have right. to railroad it. you just you play to see what happens exactly and that's what i like about it you know and and i think it, i think back to actually playing games too it's like you know when you're running it as a dm you don't 
how many times have you ever sat down to railroad your characters and that actually worked out, you know, <laughs> that you not, not that, you know, there's not a reason to, to have these, to have these books, but it's, I've just, I've picked up a lot of great things just sitting around and chatting with you guys over the last year at these conventions and online and things like that. And it's just been great to get some of this feedback and it, you know, it was talking to Tim and you and some of the other guys uh, at Gamehole last year where I really kind of picked up on that, you know, let things grow organically. And I kind of sat back and looked at like, yeah, I really had been setting out to do things with a certain intent that really, it's like when I really should have just been letting things happen a little bit more naturally and just been recognizing what I had to offer instead of trying to you know, force my way into to say something that just because I thought it needed to be said. Yeah, that, so. yeah, that's good. That's a good point. And that's hard, especially going into the right. And it's hard coming into something when you're starting new because this is. I mean, you you started, you know, without really any professional background. Like I've never, I didn't have any professional background. Right, and, and you're you kind of have ideas what you think you should be doing. You know what mm-hmm. you kind of like to do. And you're just trying to make something successful, but you really don't know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> it's like, can I do something? You just kind of close your eyes like, ooh, will it fun? Will it fun? It did. Okay. I guess I'm doing something. But the cool thing is that I found, and this is really, this was really interesting uh, because coming into this industry, I'd, I'd kind of grown into quite the introvert, but it, it what I think the cool thing is, is yeah, you shut your eyes and you kind of hope, but you've got all these people around you that are like holding on to you and they got you. Cause yeah. I mean, man, th- this community inside this industry, just the, the group of indie creators, especially, you know, kind of this vast web of network of people that we kind of all know together. It's got some great people in it. Um, a lot of really cool people, a lot of interesting and creative people, uh, with some really, really awesome ideas. And I just love how we all kind of support and, you know, support each other and have each other's back like that. I think that's really awesome. And, 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 and with, with Zach, which I find kind of funny about Zach is he's, I mean, I don't know for sure, but he appears to be one of the busiest people I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he never stops. And I'm, like, I'm thinking like, I have, I, I, he's like, you guys have that, the, they have that, um, the podcast, like geeks can't like, yeah, at least a couple times a week, something's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't hear from him at times and times I do. It's, it's like, you know, message at like one in the morning and then I'll be doing, you know, be like, Hey, I need an article for Gary's pension. Yep. I got it. Oh, you need some more? I got it. It's like, I'm thinking, how in the world does he find time? But I think the thing is, people are passionate. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like, we're we're all in this journey that, you know, we could be making more money if we just uh, just spent all the, the hours that we're putting into it into, into something else. Because um, it's not a great return on time. The pay isn't so. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all working on getting there, though, right? That's the goal. Yeah, just make enough to 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 get by. So uh, that's all. Make we enough really to yeah, make enough to get by and buy each other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> <laughs> a, a transfer of goods to to from one person to another and back again. So exactly. Yeah, it is is kind of interesting. Uh, and you're right; it is it is a phenomenal group. And I think anybody that um, 
So when I, I'm not talking to Skeeter Green, but I guess years ago, um, according somebody said, according to him, I guess I shouldn't be, I should be careful. But anyway, the, uh, I guess the scene really wasn't quite as open and friendly. Hmm. So I don't know if the zine craze and the people that kind of poured in from that, if that's, if that kind of, you know, created an atmosphere of more camaraderie. Um, but I, I would, I would think that that might lend a fair bit, just everything that I know from like the indie scene and like the zine scene really, um, and kind of, you know, how exalted funeral got started and all that kind of stuff. Really interesting. There was just a whole lot of camaraderie and things that went along with that. And really, you know, and, and I was not even in the hobby back at this time, but I've read some stuff about it. The, the, like the homemade zine craze, like back in the early 2000s that everyone was doing and all that kind of stuff online, mailing, creating your own zines, like with glue and like paper and stuff and mailing them snail mail across the country to each other. Cause it's still like 2004. Right. That's crazy. That's so cool. So yeah, I think that there's always been like since at least since the early 2000s, just like a really intense, uh, like tight, packed community of like passionate indie creators uh just around tabletop games in general which is pretty cool yeah and i would say you know anybody listening even considering going into producing we're just there's a lot of people to ask around because i think i found you know it's everybody's more than happy to to lend advice to other people and whether Mm -hmm. it's through the facebook forums like through the zine rpg zines or just or just people meet conventions or whatever just hit people up Everybody's just, everybody's happy to, it's kind of funny because it just, the hobby just grows. I mean, that's what happens when you're with enthusiasts. I mean, they're wanting to see it grow. Sure. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I attribute uh, my buddy to, you know, kind of talking me into doing this because I, I kind of started writing out this campaign based on American werewolf in London and none of my players could play. And one of them was like, well, if you really love it so much, why don't you turn it into a campaign? Or why don't you turn it into a book and sell it? And I was like, you can't do that. And he was like, sure you can. I was like, you can't do that. And he was like, there's a thing called the SRD and the OGL. And you absolutely can, you know, as long as you abide by those, you can go write your own D&D stuff and publish it and sell it. And if you really love this werewolf thing that you've written so much, go do that. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I went and I looked into it. And I just kind of thought, okay, that's interesting. Hobby. Because, um, you know, I was working full-time gig and construction management back at the time. So that's uh, not stressful. No, not at all. (laughs) It's not never, never again, but it was actually, and that was a good push, but it was actually my wife who at the time we just started dating and (laughs) she looked at me and she's like, look, I like you. You're, you're a nice guy. Um, you're an interesting guy but I care nothing about all this nerdy stuff that you talk about, but I really like you. So if I'm going to listen to you talk about it, you need to go make money from it. <laughs> She's, and she told me, she said, go monetize that geek. And I said, okay. And that was really the push. And I, I was like, huh, that's an interesting thought. I was like, I never thought that I could make money doing this. I was like, maybe I could. And so I started thinking about it that way. And that's, here we are. <laughs> You know, if you just think of what would happen if 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 more of the significant others looked and said, you know what, 
um, you need to make money off this. I, I give you my <laughs> blessing, but you better be making some money off this. Yeah. What, what, what kind of different world this would be? Maybe there'd be more movies. Maybe there'd be more music. Maybe there'd be more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife was like, I, I, I do not like this. And I do not want to listen to you talk about this unless, unless you are making money from it. Unless, then I yeah. will listen to you talk about it all day long. Yeah, the, 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 in, in general, I hate to generalize, but women in nest eggs seem to yes, it's something they like. Yes, well, and my, you know, not to divulge too much, but my, you know, even back then, my wife made more money. Too. So you know, she she's just very pragmatic, is her thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I find it. I think at least my wife is much more sensitive to 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 cash flow. So um, yeah. So for her, uh, like as long as, you're, as things are flowing one direction, uh, it, she's happy. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now if got, I if oh, I come in and started talking about you know psychology and sociology and nutrition and dieting and all that stuff, she you, you know she'd have been more than happy to just let me talk about that without any any further ado. <laughs> That's funny. So, so American World of London. So, how's how's the uh, how's Grim Weird? Uh, how's that uh, grown from the American World from London? Sure. Let me get myself a fresh drink real quick. But um, so yeah, the initial campaign that I kind of wrote that I was then going to turn into a book, which then became, uh, you know, a hard, you know, whatever this project was that ended up being grim weird tales was inspired by an American werewolf in London, that original little short campaign. And then as I started to grow it into a book, I started taking more cues from other horror movies and horror cinema so, and things so, like that. Well, that let's I go really back. So, so you saw a movie, let's, let's say it back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you, you watched American werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said, man, this is a great movie. Yes. And you're like, and got some ideas of how to take this into and make it into a story. So what, what sort of like, I mean, how did, like, not necessarily beat by beat, but like, you know, obviously, you know, for anybody that's seen that, it's not obvious that there's a D&D campaign in an American world from London. Sure. So what I, what I was very interested in, was uh, I was very interested in the vibe of the werewolf. I'm interested in. I was interested in the transfer of lycanthropy and the depiction of the werewolf. I love the the way that Jack is depicted as coming back and uh, kind of haunting David throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, yes, you know, just everything that goes on, just the whole psychological aspect to that movie, and then of course there's a slaughter rams in and the whole scene on the moors in the beginning, and that's just so thematic it's just it there's so much to that and i was just like okay first of all i want to create some i want to create a little area that is just you know some great that is just a great ode to scottish moors i want to create a little my own little take on on the ram's head you know and i want to do something with playing up this like if you are killed by a werewolf what happens like you are you become some sort of lingering like manifestation of that of that trauma and so i was working out a way to bring those elements of fear and dread into the campaign and it ended up being uh like almost like i wanted to end up creating almost like an additional kind of like an exhaustion mechanic almost and like an additional kind of condition to create dread and terror 
uh, that would be optional and not too in the way that would feel like it naturally fit. Uh, and I could never crack that. Uh, Troy Sandlin actually helped with that because I could never quite figure it out. But it does exist in in the Grim Weird omnibus in its final form. Carried it all the way through from the very beginning there. But yeah, it was kind of Jack haunting him and that whole psychological aspect of when you go back and you watch the, uh, you know, the old black and white 40s and 50s monster movies and the Wolfman movies and things like that which were my favorites growing up there. All those movies as great as they are, they lack a certain psychological element. They're oh, very yeah. straightforward. Um, and so it was really just kind of thinking for the first time, like, cause that, that was probably my 50th time watching an American werewolf in London, but it was the first time I'd ever thought, what if I could take that psychological element and put it into D and D? And I was like, how would I take that? Because I'd run horror for D and D so many times, but it always felt so dry, even Ravenloft. Like, it, and by dry, I, I mean, it just felt so PG 13. Like there's this barrier that you're just never allowed to cross this of horror that you just can't really ever go through. And I was like, how can I reach through that barrier in and make something truly scary for the players. And so that's what I set out to do, not make them uncomfortable, mind you, not right, cross right. boundaries or cross lines, but to actually scare the players. Because when you go into watch a horror movie, you are, you know, you're giving consent to that movie to, to let it cross a, a few lines that you're comfortable with. And if it goes beyond that, you might get up and walk out of the theater or turn it off. Uh, and you have that option, uh, just as, you know, in a game, you always have the option to tell the DM, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. But my goal was to set out and kind of make people squirm a little bit because I Ravenloft doesn't make me squirm at all. No offense. It's fun. I love it. It's beautifully written. It's got fascinating characters. It's great horror fantasy, but it doesn't make me squirm. Well, and I'm not and I haven't played. I mean, I played the original Ravenloft like back in the day, but um, I think we played a little bit, but I think in general, I think D and D doesn't lend itself well. Um, Cause you know, I mean, the idea is being heroic characters in that environment and it takes mm -hmm. away a certain feeling of helplessness or, or vulnerability. It does. It does. You're right. And so that was really tricky. And then, Nightfell and Grim Hollow came along. They had their settings because originally I was going to create a whole setting. Uh, I had a map and, you know, all these locations. I had this and that. It was dense. Um, but then I had to just basically look at it and admit that not only were had they beaten me to the punch, they did what I was doing way better than I was doing it. And so ultimately, you know, my goal was no longer to make people squirm. It was to, my goal was to just make this book as authentic as I could truly make it, which is how do I lend my voice to horror in D and D? And what does that look like? And how do I just say what, what Zach wants to say to horror right. in D and D? And that ultimately turned out, and that's where grim weird came from. It's when I was honest with myself, it's like, okay, what do I really want to say 
well, I really like psychedelic stuff. I really like strange. Like, I really wish you could just take Lewis Carroll and HP Lovecraft and William Blake and, and, you know, some of these guys and just throw them all in a big 1980s B movie blender together and throw an extra dose of LSD in there and then see what comes out in the end. You know, what is that going to look like? I was like, that's what I want to write. And I, you know, that, that sounds fun. And so, you know, it's like, how can I take movies like The Wolfman and mix it with something like Brain Damage and Midsommar and Children of the Corn and spit out something really unique and interesting? So that's where kind of like all this ode to cinema comes. I do steal bits and pieces from, you know, great, you know, authors and legends, uh, some of them racist, <laughs> um, but really the backbone of each of the grim weird tales that I've written was like, how can I go in and take, you know, this movie like I did with an American werewolf in London. And I kind of take them in and I remix them with other movies, uh, especially of other genres and find ways that I can take supernatural horror and blend it with cosmic horror and blend it with a little bit more of like maybe demonic. Well, I think what you're doing, you're not saying like, I'm going to take an Avengers movie and just make it into a D and D movie. Right. Or D and D campaign, and I'm going to create an analog to you know this is the beginning, and this fight represents this, and this fight represents that, and them going you know like you you could probably if you really want to be a manager, you probably could take an Avengers movie, and make it into a D and D campaign in some mm-hmm. way. I don't know. Sure, I'm just throwing this out there. But I think what you're saying is, I love this movie. There are things about this movie I like the way this feels. I like a couple of this, these scenes because they make me feel a certain way, mm-hmm. and I want to provide a game setting word that provides those feelings and those and maybe have some of those set pieces, but you're not saying I'm, this is not going to be, you know, a conversion of a movie into a campaign. Right. Exactly. And not even really, I don't even think of it as a campaign basis as much as like an adventure basis. I will take, when I go and I sit down to write one of these grim, weird adventures, which we've got four of them already written for the book and already published. Um, you know, I will sit down and I'll take a handful of movies that I'm inspired by or that I think might be interesting to kind of remix together. And I'll go back and I'll watch them and I'll take notes and I'll, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll keep looking. But I'll go through and I'll pick things that don't really fit together or seem like they wouldn't fit together. And I'll find ways to kind of, like, for instance, um, did you did you see the movie Nope? I just watched it. Um, I think we watched about a month ago. Okay, excellent. So I don't want to. I'm not going to give away any spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, who may be listening. But that movie is a great example of like what I would say is how I like to take and remix things for a grim weird tale. Is there are great homages to The Exorcist, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws you know, all kinds of different references in that movie. And it is a movie about, an, you know, about an alien, you know, about a predator alien. So you can, you can see where those, those kind of come in. And then the thing with the house, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's some, you take them and you, you take these kind of vibes and you think, how can I spin that, take that feeling and do something new and different with it and create a, a scenario where something completely bonkers is happening bizarre gonzo you know and and freaky um and you know there's just one shot one two shot 
um, doesn't have to be super long and just take homage from a couple different movies and wrap it up in something like that. Yeah, I was so I, I watched it and then my wife kind of had a theory about some things and I was watched it and I, I was thinking about this. Or like, what exactly do they mean by this or what's intended by that? And so I ended up looking online and somebody explained different ways to look at it. But they said, but in the end, what, what Jordan Peele said he was making was he's making a summer horror movie. There you go. And, and then you, know, you can, there are, there are definitely some points he was trying to make, um, but it wasn't, it was political without being political. It was sure. just a fun action movie. It threw all sorts of stuff in there, all sorts of vibes. There's some weird stuff from the previews. I, I had made assumptions, mm-hmm. you know, and then, um, you know, then, then I watched the movie and, you know, and so like, for instance, there's a woman in the audience. I thought she was dead and undead. Right. But then when we saw the movie, I'm like, no, this is far more terrifying. It's this is more far worse. <laughs> so much worse than you think. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. And sometimes, yeah, exactly. Just, but at the end of the day, he just set out to make a summer horror movie. And sometimes at the end of the day, all I want with my adventures is for people to imagine jelly covered puppets yeah, when, they're, when they're playing, you know? <laughs> But I think the thing is you can take different things. You can throw different themes. You could even, even if you want to throw in some politics, if it's not even like beating people over the head with it and sure. you just throw it all together. And it's, it makes for a good time. Like it is, there's a ton of fun. And that's what, that's why I really, I don't specifically use eighties horror movies, but that's why I use them quite a bit more than some of the others. Maybe um, in terms of, like the grim weird tales is because they're literally, some of them are just there just to be just ridiculous. Like they just are bonkers and just, it's just sit down, turn your brain off for a minute, watch this. There's no underlying message to this movie. It's just, (laughs) it's here. You're here to watch some weird stuff. Toxic Avengers, a toxic Avenger. I've never seen it, but it's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Critters is critters. You're not going to, you're not going to get a whole lot of subtext out of that movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's about the alienation of of the modern male in context of a civilization that seems to be going against his mores. (laughs) Let, let, let us dissect killer clowns of outer space on an intellectual level. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's fun. So. So the so it is a so Grim Weird is a setting, but with a, but with a, a series of adventures or are they adventures that when played together they fill out a setting. Um, a little bit of the latter, more so of the latter. Um, it's a series of adventures. Uh, there are some player options. There's a quite a large beast area in the back. Um, there are a few new optional mechanics like new. Uh, mechanics for possession um because i was really dissatisfied that really the limitations on you know going full reagan with the pea soup and in, in 5e it's not a whole lot to make that <clears throat> fun and engaging and really trying to suck demons out of people so we did that um and it's mostly just a toolkit that people then can use to borrow from and take small pieces or large chunks and add it into their Ravenloft campaign or their Grim Hollow campaign or their Nightfell campaign or whichever 
horror themed campaign it is that they're playing if they want to add a dose of like gonzo weird horror uh that still fits with a kind of a grim vibe at the same time you know that clings to the grim just enough but adds enough gonzo to kind of shake things up and maybe give that one adventure (laughs) a little bit of a different flavor or that new race a little bit of a weirder vibe well that this would be the book for that okay Okay, so you're not creating a setting uh, in any sense. It's really meant to be supplemental to whatever it is that people are are playing, absolutely or running, one hundred percent. Okay, that makes sense. And the omnibus because it's a collection of, even though some of it's new. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's, it, all, it's all new, isn't it? Or is it? Well, the first the first four adventures that will be in the book have already been published digitally, but this is the first time they will be in print. And ah. then the the other two adventures, uh, the other two Grim Weird Tales, are brand new. And then some of the unsettling scenarios and other things like that are brand new. Um, however, a whole lot of this content it's the first time it will have ever been printed or published, but it has been in the works for a very long time. Well, that's good. So the, I guess, and I haven't looked, are, are you doing any sort of uh, virtual tabletop support for this? How do you mean? Uh, is, is there going to be like uh, tokens or maps or things like that? Oh, sure, sure. Absolutely. So there will be um, VTT maps for, and tokens for uh, every adventure. And then, um we will probably look at doing uh, tokens for all of the monsters as well. Yeah, I just never really thought about that. I've, I've so far, I've, 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 have not had any adventures, um, publishing adventures. So then I just thought, you know, and that's the thing too. It's like if if you were to do a, you know, go even further and make it a roll twenty release, but then, you know, with the difficulty of some of these things or a foundry, then it's the support of stuff afterwards. But if Really, all you're offering mm-hmm. is maps and tokens. Uh, most people are happy with that, and you don't also have to be spending your time supporting it for 20 years. Right, and and we do that pretty much just as a default. You know, um, sometimes you'll see people who you know offer that as upgrades, but because it does take time, especially if you're just like a one person team, I understand why you would offer a stretch goal or even a small team, but. We have someone. Zach knows how to knock out those tokens in like half a second. Yeah, they've got they got some online stuff that works pretty well, but uh, it's just uh, or you can if you're savvy enough, you can you can I'm sure do with other other tools, but it just mm-hmm. it, it takes time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm 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 always leery. In fact, last Kickstarter, somebody's remarked on the um, Facebook ads. Oh, speaking of Facebook ads, I just don't want to talk about. It. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, you know, like. What no 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 um um uh no uh, miles not milestones I forgot the term stretch goal no stretch goals I'm like no it's like <laughs> I'm done it's just done it's ready to go I don't need mm-hmm. I don't need to add one more thing to to, to create another uh, level of complexity but but I think what you do with the stretch goals with the with the tokens and the electronic maps is it really doesn't cost you any time or any money mm-hmm. to really do that so um. That would make sense for a stretch goal, I think. Yeah. Rather than saying, oh, I'm going to bring on, because I've had, I, I know a guy brought on a bunch of, unlocked a bunch of additional writers. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to get those people to write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, 
I'm I'm well, see for me, the, the fortunate thing is, is that I've got, um, Andrew Hindenburg, who is one of my stretch goal writers, who he also works for world of game design. So, you know, that, that one is at least guaranteed. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That's Seth Jared. Get it done. (laughs) Yes. Be like, okay, I I need this one. So yeah, we've got a couple of uh, guest writers coming on to do some of the unsettling scenarios, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, Levi, Levi Combs might be writing one for us if we hit that stretch goal. Um, Frank Tedeschi might be writing one for us if we hit that stretch goal. He did uh, Bleak Sprout. If you've ever checked that out, it's an interesting little book. And he's writing with me on uh, Grim Weird Tales number six. He and I are kind of co-writing that one together, which is a uh, kind of took inspiration for uh, from the Blair Witch Project. Um, the Ritual, if you've ever seen that, it's on Netflix. It's a great movie uh, based off of a book by Adam Neville, one of my favorite folk horror authors. And then also Annihilation, which uh, horrible sci-fi film, great cosmic horror film. I was so, ve- very confused the first time I went to go see that film. The marketing was terrible. <laughs> oh, for Annihilation. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was going to see a sci-fi film, and I walked out of that movie going, what did I just watch? And then I watched it again a couple of weeks later. And I was like, Oh, it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so what I, I did some reading on that after actually. And, uh, it was kind of a, uh, I think the intent was, uh, it was like a metaphor for cancer. I can see that for sure. And, uh, and how it's like, it's you, but it's not you. It's got yourselves, but it's not you. It's alien, sure. but it's it's not. It's um and how it change, you know, and and so anyway, kind of, you know, that was kind of an interesting take. Um, sure. On that. But yeah, it you're right. This is no like pew pew pew. You you end up watching this and like, I don't I didn't really like the way that fully ended. Um, but sure. You know, they always uh, the hand coming out of the water kind of stuff. I hate, I yeah. hate that. Yeah. But, but but yeah, it definitely was one of those things you didn't watch and like what did I just see? Yeah. Yeah. Like what? And that's the kind of subtext I do kind of enjoy though. Like you were talking about, like I'd never read that about the the cancer, but that's fascinating because again, that movie, when I first watched it, all the marketing made it seem like it was a sci-fi movie. And I got done with that movie. I was like, that was a terrible sci-fi movie. It was very disturbing, Uh, (laughs) but it was not a good sci-fi movie. And then when I watched it again, I was like, it gave me serious color out of space vibes when I went back and watched it again. And when I watched it under the lens of a cosmic horror movie, I was like, this is very, very good. Um, and especially now that you're adding that, that extra layer of subtext with cancer. Now I have to go back and watch it again, especially as I'm writing this, uh, the sixth grim weird tale that that's kind of incorporating elements of it. Cause that's interesting. That's an interesting take. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know if that's the actual, uh, you know, thing that was stated, but um, but I, I oh, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it. but, you know, you, you kind of go through that, and I, and I think, uh, and I think going in, it was seemed kind of like Predator, where he had like mm-hmm. had your action gal, you know, the marine type, and you know, let's go shoot his stuff up, and then it's just like, wow, this is just getting strange. Yeah, it got real strange. I, I was like, it was it was somewhere around the scene with the bear where I was like, 
in the house and I was like, this is not um, a sci-fi movie at all. I feel like I want to pee in my pants. <laughs> and it takes a, it takes a lot for a movie to scare me. That scene was legitimately like really, really scary for me. And it, I don't scare easy, but that was just so, Oh, the noise, that noise. That, <laughs> and the, mm, it's not okay. <laughs> Well, I think you know, even the 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 the, the fauna uh, was changing. Yeah, that and, was so cool. Yeah, so it's like it, you know, it's kind of it's like I guess in some ways, kind of like Uncanny Valley in a way that I maybe mean, not really Uncanny Valley, but it's not like real weird, weird. It's still close, but it's not, and that's mm-hmm. where I think sometimes things can get kind of a little a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys have stretch goals. You got people writing. I I should have uh, I didn't look at this ahead of time. So. I'm oh yeah, no worries. So you, I'm trying to. He's got a lot of stuff going on here. So we got shipping. I think went too far. So what are your stretch goals for this? So right now, um, <clears throat> we have unlocked seven additional monsters. We've got we've unlocked an unsettling scenario, which is the okay. one Andrew's going to be writing for us at eleven thousand. And then at twenty five hundred dollars, which we're about twenty dollars away from hitting, is that right? Let me refresh and see. We may have hit it. Nope, we're still about twenty dollars away from hitting that twelve thousand five hundred dollar mark. And at that point, we will add a ribbon bookmark uh, to the book because we're not doing any deluxe or limited editions uh, of this book or anything. We're just going to try and make the standard edition as cool as we possibly can through stretch goals. So um, I don't want to give too much away, but you know, uh, if, if you're listening to this now, you know, we might be able to give away a few more so I can talk about some that might be coming up. Oh, that me, sounds good. Yeah. Cause you me, have already, by the time this is reached, I'm sure you'll be in 20,000. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or yeah, I can hope. Um, so Let's see. Uh, coming up, we have some. We'll do uh, some additional monsters. Um, <clears throat> we got about eight eight more monsters that we can add out of a total of. I think we'll we'll add up to a total of, I think, thirty additional monsters wow. is what we agreed on. Um, total of new monsters that we haven't created before that don't exist currently. Um, we will do an additional unsettling scenario uh, that'll be. Levi's. Um, and then we are looking at doing another upgrade to the book at around 18,500, which is we want to do painted edges to the pages. <clears throat> We're not sure on the colors for the ribbon bookmark or the painted edges yet because we haven't finalized the color scheme of the book. We're not sure if we're going to go with the red that we've used on the Kickstarter page. Um, but we want to make sure that the the ribbon bookmark and the painted edges, if we unlock both of those stretch goals, that kind of jive with the rest of the book so for those cool. people at home that have never ever uh priced out books um that ribbon upgrade is a huge it is a huge increase the price of the book um and and also if you go with end papers other than white or maybe black that is, is a huge increase to the cost of the book yeah so we yeah and we we wanted everyone to be able to have the opportunity to have the you know, the deluxe copy of this book on their shelf, uh, just, just for backing at the, um, the physical level. So that's why we want to unlock, make it cooler by unlocking it through stretch goals. And then 
uh, a little further back, where do we got it? Um, yeah. So next after the ribbon bookmark, actually we'll look at, uh, at around $15,000, we'd be unlocking the first half of the sinister places, which again, this isn't a setting. Um, but there are places, towns, and, you know, certain locations mentioned in each of the adventures. And so the sinister places would, would just be a little mapless gazetteer that kind of flesh out each one of these locations, which can then just, each one of these locations could just, you could just pick one of them and pick it up and plop it right into your own campaign. You know, it'll be fleshed out. It'll be ready to go. You don't have to do any work of, uh, coming up with all the details for this village or town or city that exists in this uh, in this grim weird tale, if you want to expand on it or you know have your adventure extend beyond the confines of the you know what we've written, so this would be a way for you to expand that content you know naturally and not have to you know not have to guess at you know how to make this how to fill out this the rest of this town that I didn't really go into much detail about in the adventure. Um, but they won't be a cohesive setting. They won't be tied together. I'm not giving you any indications on how these places relate to one another, where they are located geographically in accordance to one another. There's not going to be a map. None of that matters. You pick them up and put them wherever you want and use them however you want. Yeah. So the nice thing is you've got enough people that if, if, if one person or two people, uh, aren't able to fulfill you can always switch around you've got enough people to to be able to to pivot and flex and mm-hmm. uh, so that's nice yeah yeah Rather absolutely than, than you and patrick all of a sudden now you got to come up with you know <laughs> <laughs> sure absolutely absolutely it's been very nice and then beyond the uh the painted edges at about the eighteen thousand five hundred dollar mark well you know we'll see what happens beyond there we definitely like i said we have some more um monsters that we would be willing to create that we have not yet created. Um, if we unlock those stretch goals, we have some more unsettling scenarios uh, that could be written by authors and writers who definitely are looking to contribute more to this book um, if they have the opportunity. So we'll see what else happens. And then of course we have more book upgrades. You know, there could be some things that we could do. I'm a big fan of obviously neon stuff. I have black lights in here. So maybe there could be some funky stuff we could do with, you know, making stuff glow or, you know, light up in fun ways or, you know, who knows, there's all kinds of fun book upgrades. If we get, if we get up there high enough. Yeah. And, and Zach has, um, um, has also stated, uh, that, um, he talks about it being a journey for the, for the Kickstarter. And mm-hmm. I think having those, um, those things unlocking as you progress helps to helps in that. Um, I think it is, and it's undoubtedly a worthy thing. It's just, it's, it's always a tricky thing depending on your project, what you're wanting to do and mm-hmm. what the risks are. So, but for you, it, it definitely keeps adding to the book. So anybody supporting this, not only are they getting more book, but they're also they're also supporting more writers. Um, more art is coming mm-hmm. out and, uh, and they're getting a better product. And it's sure. also, but you also have enough of a team behind that. You can just, things can keep moving along. So it's not, sure. there's not that much risk where it's just you. It's like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the great things that's been such a huge boon to this project is, you know, one Patrick and I had, you know, so much of this done before the word grim weird had even entered the conversation. But then once that did happen, 
uh, and we did these first four adventures. Now we're looking at, you know, this, this Kickstarter is going on right now. And we have probably, if not close to 90% of this book written, and it's just a matter of getting the rest of the art, you know, getting it all through editing, getting it through layout, you know, all those final end pieces. But in terms of like the, the actual text of, of the book, it's almost all completely done with the exception of any stretch goals that we unlock and, and just a little bit of, uh, you know, some monster descriptions and a, and a couple other odds and ends that need to be cleaned up here and there. But that's been a huge, huge help is to have that much done, especially with the four adventures that were already written. And that's been helpful too. And that having these four adventures already published kind of helps alleviate some of the costs. So, um, you know, a lot of hardback books, especially of this quality, excuse me, um, going around these days, start out at, you know, at least 50, but you know, a lot of times you're looking at 70 bucks and we're, I think we're offering it for 40 bucks. So that's a pretty good deal. You're offering a hardback for 40 bucks. Yeah. And it's definitely going to be over 200 pages. That's crazy. So, well, we're a little bit crazy. I want you, you are to a little bit crazy. <laughs> I want you, I want you to have it. I want everyone to be able to have a copy. Yes. You're creating a very low barrier for people to be purchasing. In fact, even I think you're, the, the PDF is only uh, the complete package is 21, but the, the digital book is 10 bucks. So yep. The, yep. Right now the, the, just to get it through the Kickstarter. Cause again, we've had so many backers that already backed the first four issues. We didn't want to have to pass that cost onto them again. So we were like, well, let's just alleviate their cost from everyone else. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll eat it. So let's just make the digital as of right now. Now, when we release the book fully, you know, the, the PDF will probably be $20, right. And the hardback will go up to maybe $50, but we're not gonna, we're not going to pass that cost on to, you know, hundreds of backers who've already backed the digital versions of these products before. So yeah, so for the cost, you know, right now a hamburger's cost more than ten bucks. Salads cost more than ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can can confirm. <laughs> it's like, like maybe I'll just keep working for the rest of my life because I can't afford a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, I can afford an RPG, but not yeah. a hamburger. Hey, yeah, exactly. that's a that's a world I wouldn't be sad to live in. I make uh, my own hamburger. Yeah, there you go. So you guys have a lot of art. So there's like a lot of original art that that's gone into mm -hmm. this. Yeah. That's also been a pretty big, especially since hooking up with Wagdi, but even before, you know, the fact that we've been working on this for four years, even when we weren't actively working on it, there was always time to just, you know, have an artist, you know, be like, Hey, let's pump out a little bit more work for it because we know it's going to happen. Right. It's just a matter of when. So we we've had plenty of time to get quite a bit of artwork done for it as well. It's we need quite a bit more, and I would love to fund uh, for more fund to be able to get some more. So that would be excellent. Um, I'd like to be able to do at least artwork on at least every other page. Uh, and right now we're we're looking like that might be a good possibility. So that's excellent. That is excellent, and that's and that's hard. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely. You know, even even some of the simpler things you think are simple, um, they still they take time. Oh, and even yeah. if you if you get a little like a, even a small picture, it's like, well, 
still small pictures cost uh, as much as a lot of times larger pictures because they can't draw it that small. They actually have to draw bigger. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's as all much time. Just a matter. Yeah. yeah what like... you, what you, the things that you learn going into tabletop games. I mean, I knew nothing about Photoshop. I knew nothing about Adobe Illustrator. I knew nothing about JPEGs or vector images or how to re. I knew nothing about graphic design at all. And I'm nowhere near, I'm not anywhere close to a graphic designer now but I can at least operate in those spaces and I can understand what graphic designers are talking about. <laughs> I can give notes, I can make adjustments, I can do mock-ups, you know, that I've learned some really cool and valuable skills just by, you know, meeting again, networking and meeting you guys, you know, Zach, he's been a yeah. huge help. So it's really cool. Yeah. And I think really, especially being a, you know, um, you, you know, a person can start out taking a zine. And as you mentioned before, you know, you can just type and paste and, and photocopy, or you can, you know, do a full fledged um, professional looking layout or anything in between. But it's, you know, it is, it is feasible for people to, to, to do everything their own on their own and then just learn as they go too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There are some people out there who are just absolute wizards. I think you're a, a wizard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I couldn't do what you do. Uh, I try. I'm trying. Um, I, I want to get to the point where I can do a bit more of this stuff by myself. Um, I know you have people who help you, with, but there are some people out there who literally do this all themselves. And those are like, those aren't wizards. Those are deities. Yeah. Th <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, and for myself, is I, I, you know, I keep keep trying to learn something new each time, but I also realize too that um, that there are probably certain ruts I'm going to start falling into because I've had no formal training, right? And so that's another problem too. If you produce enough work, that you don't want everything to start looking the same, and then you know sometimes the designs you do are very sufficient and they're very they work very well, but 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 if you're wanting a certain type of feel for a certain type of project, you know. Times I realized, no, I need somebody else, get mm. my daughter involved, or you know something like that, because it's just. Um, but but it is all doable and all learnable, and it's all affordable, and people can choose to do what they want or don't want to do. Um, you know, it's you know, but the problem is sometimes is finding people, but the other thing is paying for it too, because yeah. obviously starting out, it's like, you know, spending five hundred dollars for art is very difficult unless you're wanting to eat it. Um, so you kind of want to work your way up to, yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but I'll say this. I, I think that that's one of the great things about that Kickstarter has done for this industry is it has lowered the barrier for entry significantly to allow, basically, if you, if you have an idea and you're just willing to follow that passion and listen to a little bit of advice from, you know, people who might've been doing this a little bit longer, uh, then you can go as far as you want to because that's what that's all i did <laughs> yeah i think kickstarter is has made this all possible I, this would not i don't think this i don't think the rpg hobby would be as healthy as it is at this moment without kickstarter yeah or and, at least crowdfunding uh, in general yeah i don't know there's any other crowdfunding that actually works to the level of kickstarter definitely not <laughs> At least for uh, the RPG products, but but yeah, it's definitely you know made it 
it, it make makes it work um you know and and i you know i you could still produce without it i mean that doesn't stop you but you're not going to get near the sales you're not going to get near the eyeballs without the sales you're not going to be able to afford the art you're not going to be able to afford i mean but you can still produce stuff there's nothing there you know, saying you know it depends what you want out of out of out of the hobby or doing what you're doing right um, you know if it's it's um so i mean one of the things i'd like to do is so like i i for photography i started with digital photography mm-hmm. i've never done black and white film i'm doing any film photography um so it's kind of something i've missed out on but it's kind of like saying it with zines everything i've ever done has really just been through uh um, publisher through uh through um indesign mm-hmm. but it's like i don't be like to do it the old-fashioned way right and so maybe create a project just for doing that mm-hmm. that'd be interesting yeah <laughs> it's like what would that look like what would i need to do it's like uh you know, so I think the mind back of my mind, I, I'm looking for a future project. I don't know about what, but just to say, you know, I'm going to, um, I'll probably pay somebody to use a typewriter, but at least uh, somebody to type things out. Just right. And all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh, man. Oh, see, and that that's cool right there. That's a cool little idea to just, I where, where's that going to go? I'll be interested to see. There are some people who have been doing some um, Dungeon 22 or 23. I should say not 22. You know what I mean by Dungeon 23 projects? Mm-mm. It's a Dungeon a Day for 2023. Or is it 20? Yeah, so they're doing, supposed to do a Dungeon a Day. For the whole year of 2023? Yeah. Or, you know, dungeon, they do like one room a day. And then at 365 days, you have a mega dungeon. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. And some people have done variations of it. And I mean, the, the idea is it's not meant to be, you know, to be dictated as far as thus it should be done. But a lot of the idea is to, is why you're doing it is to, is the, the original conceit, as I, if I recall correctly, is to actually do it in a notebook. And gotcha. like, a, like a day planner or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's like people doing that. It's like, that's already partway there to lending where, you, where it's handwritten mm-hmm. could be and sketchy. And it's like, you know, that is a very, very fun format. Um, and I would be, be interesting to see if, if people start producing products that kind of have that, that feel. Yeah. Yeah. I've been wondering about that too. Cause it would, it definitely would be, different right like i had this thought my parents got me this old like one of those old like real or not real but like replica like journals like leather bound journals that it's like wrapped up and you gotta like unwrap the leather from it and then you gotta open it up and all the pages are like rough cut and they're just barely in there and so i was like I don't know what I'm going to write in this thing, but it was like, what if someone had one of these and they literally just went through and they wrote out like their own, like crazy, like black Mac, black magic RPG game in this like tabletop RPG. And there was just one copy of it that existed. (laughs) And it was like this crazy esoteric thing. It was like, that would not be very effective. (laughs) It's selling tool, right? Cause there's just one, but like, 
it would be like this larger than life thing, you know, it'd be like this legendary mythical game. Like if you, all right. It would work bet. Yeah. It's the problem though is, is uh, right. If you were, you'd have to be famous enough that people would want it. Exactly. It would have to be someone like Monty cook or something that, that wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I think, you know, and that's kind of, you know, that's something, you know, I never really considered the, um, what do they call that? Um, bespoke, I think is the, yeah, bespoke, the, yeah. the, the, the popular way of uh, a popular term, but you know, that's, you know, taking it down a, a quite a bit, but you know, the idea that, um, you know, I went to a sort of space, a bespoke, whatever would, would fit within, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, like you, you know, you, you may not want to do it for a whole like rule book, but you could do a you know a a twenty page dungeon. Sure, a twenty page and handwrite it all in little little notebooks. So you could do a limited run of something like that, or even what you're talking about is of typing it out on a typewriter. That's pretty bespoke. Have you ever have you seen a Temple of the Blood Moth? No, but that sounds like something I should see. Yeah, it's uh, this is not good for your audio, um, but let's see if I can find it. That's okay. I will fill the silence. He's very studiously rifling through his books. I have that same shirt. Yeah, I must have it on a different shelf. So this fellow, um, you can get the uh, PDF. And so he did it as like a college project. Um, mm-hmm. I say college project. I think it was like, I don't know if it was like junior high, but he, it's, it looks very typewritten and uh, it, it's, it's a very, it's a very great uh, adventure. It's, it, it's very well done and it um, has a vibe, but it's kind of like he did this thing, was going to supposed to do something else and then he just disappeared. And it's like, he did the same college, as far as I know, mm-hmm. you know, put it out there. Everybody loved it. And then who knows where he's at? He's, you know, he just maybe learned to play the elbow instead. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> just one of those people that's just like, like, like Sid Barrett. He came out and he's just like, I'm going to play these. I'm going to write these amazing guitar songs. And around for a couple of years and then he just disappeared just kind of wandered off to his garden in england and nobody ever saw him again yes. <laughs> pink floyd just went on without <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny so there are there are some examples and i think you know that uh you know we're we're kind of dealing with a lot of high production with the with the i mean super high production with uh with mork borg mm-hmm. um so it's it's kind of interesting to see and even like the D, it's like you know it, it, it's kind of like like Monty Cook. So, for instance, I, I get some thoughts about um, doing a product for a Cipher System, mm-hmm. but then when I look at the Cipher System book, it's it's a lot of color art. Yeah, it's like okay, I'm not going to have color art. Is is that automatically going to like if I was to produce my own content? Is that going to just immediately just turn people off because like with 5e it's like people are used to you know color content there as well 
Right. And that, that is something that I've encountered definitely um, in 5e specifically is, I mean, if you look at our Kickstarter page, yeah, a lot of our custom art that we've used is color art and it definitely looks like it's in line with what you would expect from 5e. Uh, but that's not necessarily my favorite style of art. It's not that I dislike it. I love it. I think all of our art looks awesome. Uh, but like for some of the grim weird tales, for example, I've used some like definitely some more retro black and white line line art, uh, more like AD and D style looking art for some of the adventures because I I also really dig that retro look. Some people definitely do not, <laughs> and they don't believe that it belongs in modern D and D. Right, and you can also say you know the the flip side too, where it's you know we're a lot of the old school, and the preference I think a lot of times is for black and white. Yeah, if I saw when I see like really hyper detailed color flashy art in a something that's supposed to be that's being marketed as an indie game, I automatically kind of go into it with my hackles up, like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I think you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, so you know, and, and the things too is if you're going to spend you know money, time, time and money to produce a product, uh, you definitely don't want to just uh, you know, I don't want to say alienate, but whatever you have is alienated by the by the people who who would be the potential consumers. So it's like, yeah, um, and that's kind of something that Zach and I have talked about. You know, as we we do these uh, seminars at the conventions and stuff, where we talk about running kickstarters, and it's you know, we talk about like, you need to know the product that you're selling. Like if you're selling an indie product, have artwork that backs up and speaks to that. If you're selling a 5e product, you need to have art that speaks to that. And this all needs to, you know, falls in line with how you plan your budget and all that kind of stuff. You can, if you're interested, you can come see the seminar if you want to know more, but, uh, all that to say, it definitely, definitely matters at the end of the day. And for the the one of the things that I love about Grimweird, bringing it back around, is that we have a good. It's mostly what you would expect from a five e book. You're going to get a lot of that nice, clean, uh, Freddy Lopez art that you see all over the page. Um, but then for the adventures themselves that are that are kind of front loaded towards the beginning of the book, they'll have some interesting uh, pieces of artwork that uh that are a little unusual for what people might expect for 5e so i'm kind of kind of happy for them to be forced to be exposed well and you are trying to push it to the to the more uh the more horror uh, aspect mm -hmm. so i think that's pretty apropos too yeah and it, they they do t i have found people are a little bit more forgiving uh in terms of horror than they would be for than i've seen some of my uh colleagues be with trying to use this type of art for fantasy type stuff Oh, uh, I know. I was going to talk about this. Is, maybe you're not quite the right person, but uh, so, so so earlier this, I think it was earlier this year that World of Game Design announced. I probably should talk to Zach. I really want to talk to uh, Zach about this, but announced the Hannibal RPG. Oh, sure. Yeah, you definitely should. I can give you some details, but you're you want to talk to him for the full scoop on this? No, but I mean, I was shocked by the amount of negativity negativity oh. put out by people. I don't know if you if you saw any of that. Oh, I I saw it. Yeah, uh, yeah, because like, I'm writing on it, so I saw it. <laughs> it's like I even see it spill over to Twitter. I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's just, that's for it's for people who 
that's people who I guess just aren't fans of that show. Cause I, and I don't know why, but you know, just like any media franchise or any IP, I guess you're going to, it's going to have its detractors. And so there were just, yeah, like you're saying, there's a bunch of people being like, why does this even need to exist? It's like, why does any tabletop game need to exist? Cause we want it to like chill. <laughs> It was just utterly shocking. And, and somebody else like, this is just a blatant money grab. I'm like, there's no money grab. You, you pay a licensing fee. Yeah. <laughs> pay royalty yeah. fees. It's like, <laughs> if it's a money grab on our part, we then we were then we're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's a fair amount of risk. Yeah. And so, but it went on and on and different people. I was just I and I think we you know one was, you know, you know, people talk, it's like, you know. To be to be honest, I don't know how you guys are going to make pull this off, um, but but in the end, Definitely. it's like, but but you know, but the thing is, is you know, buy it and re- read it and see what if it succeeds. If it succeeds, you know, it's going to push uh, more games in certain directions and more mechanics, and you know, it's like it's an invention. If it, yeah. if, it, if, it if it works, then you know more cool stuff will, will, will come through. Exactly. And my <laughs> whole thought is that, you know, those people who are saying that they're not, they were never going to buy it in the first place. No. So, <laughs> you know, that's my whole thing is, you know, just don't read the negative comments. And if you do, I, I'm, I'm glad John Christian was there. John Christian, you know, he got out the Vorpal sword and he, he did your stack on some of those guys. My, my wife officially gave him the title troll handler after that. Um, so, you know, I was, you know, we were glad to have him around, but I, you're never going to see me engage in that kind of, I, you know, I'm just not going to care, you know, at the end of the day, those kinds of people, they're not going to buy my book anyway. So why, why am I? I'm not going to waste any time giving them a response. No, no, no. But I was, I, I've never, I've never seen, it, it's not that everybody was, but, but I still had never seen any kind of reaction like that for something that would just seem like, like, why did you even care? It, like, why do you even care to, re, re, like, why are you angry? That's why I couldn't understand. Yeah. It's like, I can understand, like, I can look at it and like, I don't see how that's going to work. Man, I'm not going to bother. Like, but not enough for me to like, like, Post and 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 bad mouth, right? People. <laughs> well, it's and it, it does come from a place of like, it, and John wasn't wrong when he said that they don't understand what they're talking about, right? They because like you just said, we had to pay a not very small licensing fee that, um, you know, not to give too much away, isn't just a one-time thing, right? <laughs> uh in order to be able to make this game. So it's like calling it a money grab was just kind of, uh, it just, it shows, you know, a lack of insight into how the inside of this industry actually works. And if you actually want to produce something that has a big name title attached to it, the kind of hoops that you have to jump through there, there's a lot of them and they get smaller and smaller and smaller, <laughs> the, the closer you get to the finish line. Yeah. I mean, in, in fact, one of the big ones, uh, and I think people understand is like, is the, uh, star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, it's, it's, you know, um, FFGs, I, I believe it's done or about to be done, but you know, people are like, well, I can't understand why blah, 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 or why you can, but it's like, you know, it, you know, I don't know what they're paying for star Wars, but you, you pay a fee up front and then 
I think you, you get, I think it's, then you pay a percentage afterwards, but usually it's, you don't pay anything until you reach a certain amount that you prepaid. But then after that, so, so like, they as far as I understand pay, it. Yes. Yeah. So they could have paid like upfront, let's say, I don't know. I don't have no idea what to do. Maybe they paid a hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. and maybe it's a 5% fee. So, you know, they pay a hundred thousand dollars and then the first, uh, you know, million, you know, they, they, they don't pay anything and after that. It's a certain amount, but that license is only for like, like three years or five years or whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's a negotiated time frame. For sure. And when that is up, um, it is not worth it for the, so like generally for a, a person that's making the game, you've already extracted pretty much most of the money you're going to get out of that game. Unless you're mm-hmm. going to, because you're like, unless you create another core rule book, every supplement is less and less and less and less. Sure. And the, in the person owning the copyright, they're not going to give you a discount because it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So mm-hmm. they they have no interest in 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 cheating, you know, that value. So they're going to wait till somebody else offers it, and they'll they'll do a new deal with a new company. And that and there comes, uh, you know, second edition of yeah. that IP. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and so it's just like you know, it's it's not it's not necessarily anybody being so much greedy but you know it's just like if, if a person owned that if you own the if you own the rights to star wars you know you you wouldn't be just you know well, and let me ask this question right like what <laughs> the reason that we're working on the hannibal rpg is because jared as you know as the leader of world of game design came to us and he said hey guys what are some IPs that you guys would be interested in working on? And that was one of the ones that got mentioned. That was one of the ones that Zach mentioned, you know, and as our creative director, you know, it was available, you know, he, they went in and they attacked it, but you know, had ghostbusters been available and on the table and things like that, would people be saying the same thing? I don't know. Maybe we, I, I can't know, but the reality is, is that at the end of the day, these are all IPs that are close to us and near and dear to our hearts in one way or another. And just because it's not your cup of tea, you know, <laughs> there are a million other tabletop RPGs out there that you do want to be made that you, that I can turn around and say, well, there's no reason that this should be made. You could just take this RPG and retrofit it and do this and this and this and this, and you could have your kit. And I'm like, but, or I could just make the thing, you know? Yeah. I think that's the ugly side of uh, middle-aged white men. Not that I am one. <laughs> yeah, like, one, of them, on. one of them anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, really? Kids got my porch. Like, really? <laughs> like, I, I just find it astounding of all the, the millions of things to find joy and happiness in the hobby that is just abundant, more abundant than ever before. I mean, it is just an abundance of riches, and people will pick something and gripe. It's just like, man, it's just nuts. Man, that's just, if that's not the definition of first world problems. Yeah. <laughs> well, Why are I they think... making a Hannibal RPG? <laughs> it's just wrong. It's just wrong. So wrong. That's what's wrong with this world. <laughs> Glor- glorifying, glorifying that, that man. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, someone, someone got confused. And, and this, is, this is a rightful... This was a this was a very good question, and I laughed so hard at this because this person was probably so confused, and I just 
I wanted to I wanted to be that person for half a second because they commented, why did they make Hannibal sexy? But it's the thing with it's oh, Will yeah. Graham. <laughs> it's Will Graham in the mask. Like, why did they make Hannibal sexy? I'm like, that's not Hannibal, but I wish that I could just I want to be in that mindset for just a minute wondering, oh my gosh, why did they pick this actor to play Hannibal? <laughs> but it wasn't. It's Mads Mikkelsen's great, great uh, take on the character. And I'm, I'm really glad. I can say that we do get to use, um, I'm pretty sure we get to use their likenesses for the book, which is excellent. Yeah, and that's what's kind of interesting where you have, um, you have a property that also has, like, is another media. And yeah. sometimes what you can and can't use. So, yeah. you know, it's like you can... I can't remember what it was, but I can use things from the book, but you can't use anything from the movies. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of, you know, the whole thing, right. Again, with all those hoops that you have to jump through, like aside from all the, you know, the licensing fees and all that things, all those things, you have to negotiate like what parts of the property you could actually use, you know, for your game. And it's, it's a lot of, there, there are lawyers, lots of lawyers involved and lots of contracts and all this kind of stuff that, is way above my pay grade that I just got to hear about secondhand uh, as an excited person who gets to write for this. Have you ever seen Buckaroo Banzai? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a, and I, I never use this, this term, but I'll use it now. There's a douchebag that is that's sitting on the rights of that. Really? Yeah. And I think they, he's supposed to come out with an RPG, but never has, but it's like somehow he's, this is what's problem. Some people can can I don't know what the term is, but they can they they can get a, an option and they'll just sit on it and then mm-hmm. nothing moves forward. So we could have had, you know, Buckaroo Bonsai RPG. Um, I would love that, but but no, we don't we don't or we'll never get it because it just. Hey, same with Toe Jam and Earl, man. With what? Toe Jam and Earl. If you're if you're if you're any '90s kids out there who love Sega, we will never have a Toe Jam and Earl tabletop RPG. Sadly, probably. So why same, is that? What is same Toe Jam and issue. Earl. Toe Jam and Earl is like a like a roguelite style uh, game for the Sega Genesis back in the day about these two aliens that crash land on quote unquote Earth, but really Earth is just a series of weird uh, platforms out in space with devils and ice cream trucks and people mowing their lawns. It's a very, very strange game, but one that I think would make a very fascinating tabletop role-playing game. If someone could ever get their hands on the rights to it, someone figure that out. Go jam and Earl. Yes. Go jam and Earl. I need it. <laughs> I think it's a good note to end on is toe jam and Earl. Perfect. Well, well, thanks for joining me, Zach. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'd love to have you back on again sometime. Absolutely. Hopefully we can get even more off trail. Yeah, yeah, it is It is possible. It's not even really hard. <laughs> yeah, no, especially I think the two of us probably get lost in the woods for a couple days. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, uh, you take care and thanks again for joining me. Absolutely. We'll see you, Jeff. 